Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey, it's Ben here, and in addition to this podcast, I also teach Microsoft Excel online. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access to the course. Stay tuned after the episode for a little bit more information as to why it's so important to improve your Excel skills and unlock your inner Excel ninja. Thanks. Hey there, friends of failure, and welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I am here with my friend Nigel Green. Nigel, how are you doing today? I'm better now. Yeah. What? Um, sorry for being a little late, but that's uh, kind of par for the course for me. Um, how is your life? Is it more put together than mine at the moment, at least? You know, I could easily say, yeah, I've known you for a solid five minutes, but chances are, <laughs> no, man, my life is... Um, uh, Look, it's a shit show. I got a four-year-old and a six-year-old. Oh. Uh, I'm trying to do as little work as possible, uh, but I'm in the thrux of what I would characterize as my busy season. I'm in my, you know, I wrote a book called Revenue Harvest, and I, and in the book, I borrow some language and the terminology from my friends in the farming community. So I'm my to tell you kind of where I am in my year, I've been I put a lot of seeds in the ground earlier in the year, and I am tending the tending the harvest, tending the crop in anticipation of a harvest this fall. And then I'll I end my year. I work a ten month year, so my year ends in October. So I'm grinding it out to um, close out the year on October 31. So what do you do for those two months? You just get to chill? Yeah, I just chill. I um, fish and chase whitetail deer and watch a lot Ooh. of football and do a lot of day drinking. That sounds dope. Um, so what I like to do with the guests is let them do uh, like a shameless brag, humble self-promotion, whatever you want to call it, like inflate yourself before we deflate with some of the, the more failure stuff. So I didn't know if there's uh, any bragging points you got or just, you know, context to give the listeners a little bit about some of the stakes that we're dealing with. Well, okay. Here, here's what I'll say. Like, um, I am 38 years old, and at the age of 35, I became unemployable. So uh, that in as itself is, is something worth bragging of, but it also is kind of a good segue into uh, self-awareness and failure. I have had, you know, I've had some marketplace success. I've had a couple of exits, uh, three, as a matter of fact, three financial exits for those that don't know what, what I mean by that. And it's given me just enough money to where I just can't work a job anymore. And so it's forced me to uh, reinvent myself at 35 and try to figure out how I'm going to make a career when I don't have enough money to just ride off into the sunset. I need to work. I need to continue to provide for my family. But I've got enough to where I'm just probably not going to work 50, 60 hours a week and, and do the things that are required for uh, most commercial leaders in a, in a quickly scaling company. So I'm 37. I'm, I'm, I don't know if you know my story, but I've been fired from every job I've had since graduating college. So I'm about as unemployable as you can get because I can't, uh, they don't want me. Even if I want to go back to corporate America, I'm pretty sure they, they would fire me a seventh time because I just can't do it. I think it's the ADHD or the something doesn't jive. Uh, sometimes it's their fault. Sometimes it's my fault, but I just can't do the, uh, the corporate America thing. So I'm trying to figure out how to make it 
on my own as well. But uh, it's not easy, you know, especially when you're used to doing the, uh, you know, be a cog in the system kind of thing, trying to figure out how to break out on your own stuff. Yeah, I'm curious why you say it's not easy. Well, because I didn't choose it. I, guess. I mean, I don't know. So I, I, I'm glad I was, I was going to write a book called like why I'm happy I was fired from all my jobs because it would, it led me to finally do the entrepreneurial thing. But it seems like we're basically, we're kind of on the same path. But why are you unemployable? Did you get fired from a lot of jobs? Or you just couldn't, couldn't take living in their world kind of thing. No, I think uh, I have only been fired one time. Um, and my buddy, Matt Tant will he'll, it depends on who you ask. He says, I quit. I <laughs> say I got fired. It, it was, a, it's, we're beautiful, beautiful friends. And Matt, if you're listening, I love you, buddy. Uh, we're still friends now, but it just was one of those things where it ran its course. Uh, mm-hmm. and it, he, he knew it and I knew it and it just wasn't the right match. And so that was probably the only time that, you know, I would say I was anywhere close to being fired. I mean, we're bros. It, we went and sat down and we talked and he said, it's just not working. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's not working. Like, he's like, I need you. I need you here. You're not, you're not here enough. And I said, well, I'm not going to be here. You know, I, like at that time I had a newborn yeah. two year old and I'm not going to be in the office at seven 30 in the morning and, and not leaving until five 30, uh, and you know what? That that's not an indictment on on Matt or any leader. That's what the business required at the time. This was 2018, and I was unwilling to do what was a very clear expectation. So that's why I said, "Well, you know what, Nigel, the role, any role you go get, leading a commercial sales team is going to require nine, ten hours a day. You're seemingly unwilling to do that, so you're fine." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, so I started out in KPMG public accounting. And the partners, the people like the goal and goal to become a partner, which is like you know 20 years into it, they'd be there at like 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, is this the goal? Is this where I'm heading? Because I don't like where I'm where I'm heading. That was the one I had to write the resignation for for them. But it wasn't yeah. my choice. And so I would say for me, maybe not for, for those cats, but for mm-hmm. me, if I'm a partner in a business and, and I've been there for 20 years and I'm there at 10 o'clock at night, man, I have failed. What a yeah. failure I am. You should be coasting at that point. Yeah. Cruise control. Exactly. Yeah. So, but, uh, so I'm pre-rich. I'm in the rags to riches story, but I'm in the rags. Is, like, is what I like to tell myself. Who knows if I'll eventually get there, but I know that I can't do it the way of, you know, be a, be a cog in the system because I don't know. I think, I, I don't know if we're too creative or whatever, or if we can't, I don't like being micromanaged. I'm not sure what it is, but I can't like whenever I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. And a lot of times corporate America, they take advantage of your time and like your resources and just make you do a bunch of things that, you know, are not the right move, you know, but you can't really say anything about it. But when, at least when you own the business, you can own the good moves and the bad moves and also like feel more like you have buy-in to what's going on. So once you found out you were unemployable, what did that you then decide to do? Like, how'd you deal with that? Well, it was, I don't think I mourned that decision for very long. Maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm being honest, I probably moped around and licked my wounds for about, <laughs> I don't know, 72 hours, but it's quick turnaround. But Ben, I'm a sales guy. I mean, I'm a sales guy and I felt, and I've done, I've been very successful in the marketplace. And I thought you've sold, all kinds of stuff in healthcare, Nigel. Mm-hmm. If you can't sell your resume to companies looking to learn from you, 
man, you, you really need to ask yourself, are you truly a salesperson? And, and so how, how are you going to say you're a sales consultant if you can't even sell yourself? And so for me, that was really, that was easy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just said, you know, I think it's probably better that I go set my own quota, which is what salespeople get every year. They get a quota, they yep. get a comp plan. And I said, I'll just go set my own quota and comp plan and I'll back of the napkin reverse mm-hmm. engineer what I need to do to hit my goals for the year. And so I read, Paul Jarvis wrote a book called Company of One. And I read that book early in my decision to be a consultant or an independent. And one of the big takeaways for me, Ben, was that I didn't want to build an agency or build a consultancy that had employees. I truly wanted to just have it be me so that Mm -hmm. I could have freedom and optionality. And so I set some some top end revenue goals. And now it's all about how fast can I get to that top end number? So uh, would you say you're just a, a sales generalist or is there some specific areas that you uh, find yourself doing better in? No, I'm, I'm absolutely not a generalist. I'm a specialist. So I, I specialize within a certain vertical, which is healthcare services uh, and then B2B services. And then within that vertical, I only serve a certain type of individual. I only work with executive sales leaders, meaning they have a sales team, mm-hmm. uh, typically 15 to 20 reps that report to them. They've got a complex sales structure. They've already got product market fit. They've achieved some level of scale and some level of funding and maturization as a company. And so it seems like that's a needle in a haystack, but it's still a pretty big world for me to go swim in. Well, so I used to work at healthcare company. One of my sick, every time I get fired, I switch industry and stuff like that. So I worked in healthcare doing it was a, a biologic infusions, if you know uh, that market, you know, yeah. Remicade and all those other like arthritis and stuff like that. Um, but it's weird, the healthcare industry in America, uh, which I assume you're dealing mostly with America, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's insane because for from a finance side, we could bill insurance companies like 80 grand and they'll pay zero, they'll pay 80, they'll pay half of it. And we won't even know why. And we won't be able to reconnect we calculate it next time in the exact same situation. It's like such a crazy industry where uh, even the companies don't know. I don't know how the regular average Joe who's got to pay his bill is going to even know what's going to be eventually. So I don't know if you have to deal a lot with that side of it or if it's more like selling the product. Uh, yeah. I have to deal with claims data and, and reimbursement rates. CBD and, codes and all that bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. CPT. Yeah. CBD. You- that's what, that's what I eat every night to go to sleep. Yeah, no, I want to say CPT because it's on what I I caught ten or something. I forget all the stuff I've learned and forgotten over the years, but it's crazy to me just how complicated we make it. Uh, so, what's the big challenge in that industry to sell? What's the the biggest challenge in that industry to sell is you un, you have to understand that even if you think your offering is for the patient or it's for the hospital system, you to to master selling an offering in healthcare, you've got to understand that there are multiple stakeholders for every offering. You mm-hmm. have to say, okay, well, if, if this is for the system, like a healthcare system, a hospital, and they're the decision maker, well, you need to know who the decision shapers are. If they don't get, if you've got a great product that you want to sell to a system, but the docs won't use it, you, you're not, it's not going to work. So there, there are four big players in the healthcare system. It's the, the actual system. It's the patient. 
It's the provider. So the clinicians that are doing the work and then it's the payer, as you talked about. So you can have the best mm -hmm. product. Doctors love it, but patients love it. But if the insurance company ain't going to pay for it, so if the payer doesn't want it, it's not going to happen. So you just have to understand that even though it's, it might be built for one stakeholder, you, you have to understand who the decision shapers are and have a multi-stakeholder offer. So you say decision shapers. What is what is a decision shaper? I haven't heard that term. Well, they don't they don't they may not execute the deal, but they can kibosh it. They can make sure it mm. doesn't get done. So they're the the squeaky wheels you gotta make sure are, are greased mm -hmm. up for the yeah. for the deal. Mm -hmm. Uh is that what the book Revenue Harvest is about? Is it all about the that industry? No, Re revenue harvest is a no, it's about um being a sales leader that can stand the test of time. The average tenure of a sales leader is less than 18 months. So because it because of the high demand or, or just um because like, they fail. Mm, and then they say, I'll go do something else. Yeah. And and the reason they fail is because they're they, they do they either rinse and repeat or they don't have a true plan. They they've built their entire acquisition strategy around a fad or some kind of trick or, or some hack mm -hmm. that doesn't work. And so I, I live in a farming community in Kentucky and farmers, it's pretty clear. If there's no crop, you're not a farmer. Whereas you can call yourself a sales leader and not hit a target. And so I said, so why is it that farmers, even though they can't control anything, they don't get to control the temperature, the weather, the price of the crop. Yet if they don't produce corn or if they don't put hay in the barn, they're, it's pretty clear they're not a farmer. So what yeah. can we learn from farmers uh, and adopt that into the leadership role? And so Revenue Harvest takes seven timeless principles from farming and overlays that on the selling year for the sales leader. And That's I believe that if you if you do these seven things year in and year out, you're going to hit your number. You want to give us a little preview of like what a couple of them are? Because I don't know yeah. shit about farming. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm so in Kansas City, but it's, there's plenty of farmers, but. Yeah, I mean, so the, the me. principle, the seven principles are plan. So to, they, they build a plan for the year, then mm -hmm. they position the plan because even really good plans that aren't positioned well are going to lead to failure. Then they prepare. So that's about training and development and, and readiness. Then they plant. Then they tend. So tend is to take care of. You can put seeds mm -hmm. in the ground, but if you don't fertilize it, pull the weeds, check on it, water it, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. And then we have to, so we have to tend to our customers. We have to tend to our people. And then there's the harvest. And then we restore and restore is different. Like most people hear restore and they think rest, like take a break. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about breaks are important and rest is great, but restore is to return to its original state. And farmers mm -hmm. get this because you can't plant the same crop in the same yeah, like piece of the dirt. soil or whatever well if you, if you they they do this thing called crop rotation because one one crop might take out of the soil mm -hmm. what the next one replenishes in it so they restore the soil with crop rotation and cover crop and other additives well, sales leaders are really bad at restoring their team they run all year with a 12-month quota mm -hmm. then guess what guess what the prize is for being successful start over at zero keep your job maybe start over at zero and so you know yeah how mad were you by the time you got to number five that you couldn't figure out a p word to keep going with the p because you got four uh, p's not, yeah <laughs> it didn't bother you no I didn't, I didn't even think about it um that's pretty awesome though so have you had much farming experience or have you been mostly doing it from a sales or like from a hands-off perspective Oh, I just I just live in a farming town, so I, I watch farmers, and uh, we 
you know, we live on a, a larger piece of land that is farmed. And so I know the farmer that farms our land mm-hmm. well and uh, learning by proxy, just by being around other farmers. I, I couldn't tell you the first thing about actually farming. Yeah. So like I've kind of always avoided, I say I'm like a, uh, the opposite of a handyman, like a footy man or something, because I just don't do all those things. But I think a lot of it's like self-limiting beliefs about whether I could, because I just, uh, I don't do it. But I'm always very impressed by people who can do farming or any kind of manual labor, like on the regular. It's, uh, it takes a lot of, it just takes a lot out of me. I can't do, I, I need like constant different challenges and stuff like that to, uh, to keep my mind active. But that's probably my ADHD uh, acting up because I can't, once we get into like the usual business as usual stuff, then I kind of check out, you know, I need more of like a something going on to, to focus on, but I can, my main weakness is sales. So is if the listeners or anybody else is struggling with sales, what would you say is a couple pieces of advice to get them past, you know, not feeling like a car salesman and those other things that a lot of people deal with um, in terms of struggles. Well, I, I would say that one, one tenant that I subscribe to, and this came from Peter Drucker, uh, the late Peter Drucker, who was a management consultant. He said, the whole purpose of any business is to create a customer. Mm. Everything else is just an expense. It's just noise, right? So, so I, I think if you're listening to this and you run a business and you don't like sales, you probably shouldn't be running a business. Or you should outsource the sales piece? <laughs> well, I don't know that you can. Okay. So I'll tell you that I don't know one company. Mm-hmm that's sustainable and has been successful year in and year out that doesn't have a founder or a CEO that is involved in the sales process. In fact, there was a a study done uh, by Harvard Business School on founder-led sales. And what they found is that, and this is all in the book, Founders Mentality, that founder-led companies outperform the S&P 500 by 3x. Wow, it's impressive. But isn't there some, uh, I don't know what they call it, paid media or bought media or earned media, whatever it is, like the thing Red, the thing Red Bull does. Oh, that's, that's, that's not sales. That's marketing, right? So that's like, that's lead generation. Yeah, true. Oh, how would you differentiate the two? How would you differentiate sales versus marketing? There, I would say that the, the line between sales and marketing has never been blurrier. But so I'll try to partition it in a different way. Okay. There's, there's demand generation. And then there's closing deals. Okay. Okay. And and marketing has historically been demand generation and sales has been taking that demand and converting it into paying customers. So, you know, what Red Bull's doing with their promotion, that's, that's not sales. That's demand generation, paid marketing, paid media. That's not sales. That's creating interest. Sales is taking that individual or that company that raised their hand and said, Hey, we like this and getting them to pay you money. Mm Mm-hmm. And would you say that's the best way to see if you've got a product that you think is viable Would the best way to, to check that to be get people to pay money for it? Well, if they're not paying money for it, it's not viable. True. But a lot of people don't do that right away, right? They skip to the, uh, Hey, let's take forever to develop this thing and not focus on whether people will pay money for it. Right. Yeah. And I would say that that is a failure. Yes, absolutely. But a lot of people get, get trapped in that. So what's like, would you say like, uh, try to put your thing out there, earlier and try to see how much interest there is monetarily before you get too far down the line? The, the, yeah. The best source of funding 
for a new venture. So if you're going to go out and you've got a new offering that you want to take to market and you mm-hmm. think you got to raise money, the best source of funding is customers. Yes. So I agree. So like if you don't want to take on debt and you don't want to give up ownership of your company, go create customers. They just pay you for it. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of companies that go out and they raise all this money to develop a product or to, to invest in the business. And they don't even know if it's going to fly. See, I did it all ass backwards. So I did like eight years of giving everything for free and then trying to convince myself that I got I should probably start paying, charging for this stuff because uh, I don't know with me, with money, it, it's weird. It's like, I have a weird relationship with it. I think cause I grew up without it. Like whenever money gets involved, I, it changes how things go for me. So that's why like, Instead of doing my business stuff, I'm doing this podcast, for example, because it's there's no money related to it. It's more of a hobby. And then once I once money gets involved, it becomes work. And it's hard for me to like separate those two. But what I do is I teach Microsoft Excel online. So it's already like a pretty non-sexy subject. People fall asleep partway through the word Excel. So I'm trying to figure out ways of like making it so it's more enjoyable and more fun, but at the same time, find the people I need to reach. And so I'm finally digging into LinkedIn because of the, like I've been on there for like 15 years, but I haven't been using it for like seriously until like four months ago. And it's amazing. I don't know if you've uh, experienced the same thing, but it seems like the, the most boring platform ever, but is there's so much usefulness to it. I don't know if you found the same thing about uh, LinkedIn. I, I keep LinkedIn open every single day. I'm in LinkedIn. It's not responding to messages, posting content. Yeah. It's, it's so been, useful though. It's crazy. Yeah, very useful. Um, and I think something like the average salary is like $120,000 on LinkedIn versus like 50 to 60K on every other uh, social media platform. So like even just as a base of people who might be listening, it's a it's a super valuable resource. But I'm only recently uh, really trying to dig into that type of thing. Now, have you been on a lot of podcasts? Countless. Countless. So if you had to guess, what would you say? Hundred. Hundred. Okay. And how many people were late? Mm, some. Okay. And then there's some no complete no shows, I imagine, as well, right? I don't think I've ever been no show. No, I don't. Ooh. Been so I almost no showed you, but but then yeah. showed up just just in time. Okay. So I, if if I had to rank you, I'd say you you are failing the hardest <laughs> showing up on time to be a podcast host. Yes. I. Uh, See, I just stack myself too much. I probably have like 30 or 40 episodes recorded. The editing is such a pain in the ass that I just keep booking more and more uh, interviews. But part of it's just getting better at a lot of my own personal issues. And one of them is uh, time management. So, uh, but today I was so ready to be doing, uh, to be here on time, but uh, shit just gets in the way. It always does. For me, uh, I always thought when I got this license plate, which was like uh, two years ago, I thought it was all historical. I was like, okay. I'm going to put this behind all this failure stuff behind me, but it always keeps coming back. So um, have there been any moments in your sales career where you've had either major failures or things where you thought it was going to work out and then it totally didn't go the way you had expected it? Yeah. I mean, my second job out of college, I was on a performance improvement plan within six months. So that didn't. Oh, pips. I fucking hate pips. I mean, that, so that sucked. Um, <laughs> what, what made you, uh, what, why they do that to you? Cause I was sucking. I wasn't doing the job. That's why they did it to me. I deserved it. Best thing that ever happened to me. Okay, good. Yeah, no, I'm usually in the same boat. Like, I mean, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, but it's frustrating because, you know, I mean, 
So I grew up, my stepdad, who's a roofer, construction type of guy, he was like, you can pay now and play later. So go to school, do all your stuff. And then when you're older, you get to chill or you can play now, pay later. And that's what he did. He played around. He fucked off in school, didn't do anything and then paid when he was older. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll do the pay now, play later thing. And now I'm like, it's time to play. Why don't, where, don't I get to play? I've been doing all this paying all my life. I thought then you actually get to chill, but no, you still get to, you still got to keep working all your life unless you find a way out of it. And it seems like uh, me and you both are like, okay, we can't do this corporate America thing. So we'll try to figure out how to make something else work. I, I, I think that you're right on a lot of, in a lot of ways. I think that, um, I don't know. I, I think, so I don't know that I quite say it that way. I would say for me, um, how I define success changed. Okay. What did it change from and what to? So it, success used to be for me was a number. So a financial number Mm -hmm. coupled with applause, meaning other people that I really don't care about that probably aren't going to come to my funeral telling me and telling other people that I was good at what I did. And then uh, when you have kids, it, at least for me, it changed everything. And I realized once I had my son and I got this from a pastor named Andy Stanley out of Atlanta, that the most important contribution you make to this world might not be what you do for work, but it might be who you raise. And I thought, Oh man. Wow. That's huge. So I said, I think I want to suck at work for a little while and be a good dad and be a good husband. And so success for me became less of an external scoreboard and more of my own internal scoreboard. So I, the only way you're going to win life is if you play your game. And so it took me till the age of 35 to realize I was playing somebody else's game and that was going to be, a tough road to hoe. And so I started playing my own game and I came up with my own rules, my own language and my own scoreboard. Would you say that's kind of like the thing where, uh, uh, I mean, basically whether you're doing it for the other person's reasons versus your own, like things that you buy into yourself versus the tump- the company line that you're trying to tow kind of thing. Well, I think it became more of like, all right. Like I used to tell myself, you need 10 million bucks. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, why do you need 10 million bucks? It's like, well, that's somebody else's number. Yeah. And, and I realized that what I really want, what, what 10 million bucks got somebody else was off the treadmill and it got them what they really wanted, which was autonomy and optionality and some time. Freedom. Yeah. And I said, you know what? You have it right now. If you get really clear on how you spend your money. hmm What's important to you? What actually makes you happy? The things that I love, Ben, fishing, surfing, bow hunting, being with the kids, that didn't cost you a lot of money. So I don't need 10 million bucks. Like I can just go do that now. And so I started, I re-optimized my life. Oh, I didn't re-optimize. I optimized my (laughs) life around um, like just time. Yeah. Because that's, I can go make money. I, I can't go get, I can't make any more time. That's very true. Yeah. So did you have good role models growing up? From like when they raised you. Yeah. Right. And molded you. Yeah. You got a pretty good shot at it based on what you were, what you, your upbringing. Yeah. I mean, I, I had great parents. We did not have anything. 
I mean, we grew, I grew up like you, I didn't have money, mm-hmm. but my relationship with money is, is a little different than the way you characterize yours because I didn't have it. I knew I wanted it. Yeah. And so I've been like, I'm going to fix that. I'm not going to, my kids aren't going to live the way I grew up. You know, I grew up on looking at my older cousins and waiting on them to outgrow their shirts so I could get them. I mean, I remember looking at them. Yeah. Oh, that's a cool Ninja Turtle shirt. I'm going to get that in a few years. That's going to be dope. Were you like me where you didn't look forward to Christmas even? No, I look forward to Christmas. Like my parents did a good job of, okay. of like making sure that we didn't go without, but I knew that there were, that we just didn't have a lot of money. Like it, it came down to like, this is your pair of cleats and you have to wear it for baseball and football. Like you got to, you get a pair of cleats. Mm-hmm. That was it. Did you have brothers and sisters or were you your only child? Yeah, I had two younger brothers. Okay. So were you taking care of them? Like, were you the default? No, my, my mom, my mom did that. I mean, we, my mom was home and, and so, so she modeled for me that, look, pick your priority. She, she, they could have had more money, but she, they decided that for the family it was best that she stay at home. And so she, they modeled that for us. And so now I've taken a page out of that book and I'm just home a lot. I don't travel really for work. Well, it's good though. Cause when you don't prioritize money, I mean, you still get money Yeah, based on the way that you prioritize other things. Cause in order to get time, you need to, I, I still prioritize money, but it's not the number one priority. Mm-hmm. I see money as a tool. Do you think that's changed how you do your, uh, your sales techniques and things like that? Um, Cause when you're money focused, it's a different um, vibe that you bring to sales than if you're, doing it for better reasons, I guess. I'll say this, Ben. I think it's changed the way I think about the work that I'm willing to do. So uh, there are a lot of folks that are listening to this and they'll, they might resonate with this. If you're going to pay them money, they'll do whatever you want them to do, right? Like, oh, you're going to pay me? I'll do it. I can do, you need me to do Excel or you need me to do a, a, a word training? I'll do that. I can do Excel. I can do a word training. Yeah, here's the price. Pay me. Mm-hmm. I do one thing over and over again. I work with sales leaders of healthcare companies that can't afford to miss their number. And so I get all these really exciting opportunities. Come speak at this conference. Or can you help us with sales and marketing alignment? Or will you help with closing techniques? And I say, no, it's not what I do. I don't care what the money is. I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. And that's because you have so much respect for your own time. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Because you never get it back. Never get it back. Okay. So what do you do? Well, what, uh, cause I'm, I'm terrible at setting boundaries. So what kind of things in your life do you set as like, uh, basically there's nothing that's going to stop me from doing this thing. Like maybe it's fishing or whatever. Like, are you just very, uh, intentional about your time and who you give your time to? And so I, I have a full-time assistant that manages my calendar and that mm-hmm. gives me a lot of time back because she not only manages my calendar and does all the back and forth of email, she does everything I don't want to do. Her job description is stay five steps ahead of me and do the things I don't want to do. And so some of those things are, I don't take client calls on Monday. Okay. So if you need to talk on Monday, sorry, uh, I don't work after four o'clock and I don't do anything on Friday. And then you don't work after October until the year's over. Is that right? Starting October 31, I am done. Are you unreachable? No, I'm not unreachable. There, there are probably, I would say there are seven individuals that can get me. And they know, like, I would also say we're, we're kind of friends too. And I also have like a, I'm an investor in their company or it, so it still feels like it's kind of my company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they know, like, don't call him in the morning or you get him at you know, three o'clock in the afternoon, you won't get him, but maybe he's out of the tree stand for lunch. So I'll text him and see if he's got 10 minutes to talk, but it's not like, I'm not on like hour long calls. 
Uh-huh. I'm not speaking and I'm not in Excel working on spreadsheets. I'm not doing any of that stuff. Oh, so tree stand. Does that mean is it hunting that you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Bow hunting whitetails. Yeah. Okay. So how long do you have to wait? How much waiting is involved in that? It seems like you basically are just standing up in a tree waiting for a long time. It's like kind of like fishing. You're waiting most of it. I wrote a book standing in a tree. <laughs> Um, you wrote the book while standing in a tree or it's called standing in a tree. No, I wrote a book while I wrote revenue harvest in a tree. <laughs> okay. So you do have, get a lot of time up there to think a lot of time. Yeah. A lot of time. But then all of a sudden it's action time. When, once you see the, the animal. Yeah. It's game on. Um, and you said bow. So is this like mm-hmm. an automatic bow or is this a. No, it's like a tensile. Ten- yeah. You have Ooh. to shoot it. It's, That's tough. Yeah. Isn't it? It's the hardest way. Even Joe Rogan does the, uh, does the, doesn't he do the gun one? No, Joe Rogan shoots a, he shoots a compound bow. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm just making it up. <laughs> no, um, no, it's, it's the, it's the purest way to pursue an animal. It's, and it's the most uh, close you can get to the kill probably, right? I mean, unless you're going up stabbing it or something like that, but I mean, like yeah. it's a, it's a very intimate relationship with the, mm-hmm. with the food. Very intimate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you got to cart that thing out of the woods. Yeah. Put it in the freezer, all that jazz. Clean it, put it in the freezer. Yeah. And that'll last you mo- most of the year. Depending well, on what it not is. Not one. I mean, I kill I kill enough to eat for, for my family and friends to eat for the year. But yeah, that's what we don't we don't buy beef. We eat venison. Now do you hunt in Kentucky or do you go to other places? I go, yeah, I go I hunt. I have some land I, hunt, I mostly hunt in Kentucky, but I'll go to Colorado or Montana, Texas. I was gonna say I lived in Colorado. I know there's a lot of good elk hunting and stuff like that out there yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i go i go out west once a year and, and do some hunting is it totally a fearless thing or is it uh do you ever feel hunted uh w- once or twice uh but it wasn't i mean obviously not by what i'm hunting it there was mm-hmm. you know, wolves in the area or mountain lions yeah okay cool so last two questions Get out of fail free card. So being on the show, you get a get out of fail free card, which is if you could use a get out of fail free card to pursue a, a career, a passion, a hobby, a thing that you would you've avoided because of the amount of failure. Is there something you'd use that to pursue that you've uh, currently not been pursuing? Like me, I do stand up comedy, but there's so much bombing and like having to suck that it's scary. Is there something that you've put off or, or wouldn't do unless you had that card? I don't know. No, probably not. I'm not really a f- afraid of failing um i wish like it maybe in another life i would be a um a, a football coach but to oh, me nice. that, they, they spend way too much time away from their family so i don't i don't know how they i don't know how to really answer the question i i, I am not afraid to go and do something well that's good that's a good way to live and then yeah. the other thing is what's what are you going to fail at next what's the, the big thing you're working on now that you haven't on uh, i say instead of fake it till you make it i say fail it till you nail it so what is the thing that you don't know what you're doing but you're gonna mess it up until you figure it out is it parenting? Well, I mean, uh, certainly parenting. Uh, first time doing it. Uh, I, you know, some of the work I'm doing with the firm health. Um, a lot of times, I feel like I'm failing a lot with with that business, even though we're very successful. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'm failing all the time at work. And so, I mean, well, I'm not afraid. Again, I'm just not afraid of it. I just do it. Yeah, well, that's good. So, where can people find you in the last one minute? Uh, where Where do they go to to see what you're doing these days? Yeah, you can go to, you can get my book. Uh, if you're in, inter- interested in sales, you can go to therevenueharvest.com. You can get the audio book and the ebook for five bucks. Be the best five bucks you spend all day. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. 
Can't miss me. Nigel Green. I'm there. I'm hanging out every day. All right, Nigel. Well, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you taking the time and I'm sorry for, uh, for being late, but I do appreciate you giving the value to the listeners and I cannot wait for them to hear your uh, story. It's been my pleasure, Ben. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. Would you like to be more efficient, productive, and confident in your work at the office? Over 750 million people worldwide use Excel, yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool. That's why I created Excel Exposure, so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over five hours of in-depth video lessons. Plus, it comes along with my master workbook, which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of six best online Excel classes of 2021, saying it's best for visual learners. As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.